Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, wherever you are listening to this podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, if you could subscribe to the pod and leave a review, that would be greatly appreciated, because when you do this, it allows the algorithms to further expand this podcast to let other people know that this podcast exists and that would be greatly appreciated to me now with that being said let's start the show for monday night raw we will start off with an opening match for the united states championship between seth rollins and bobby lashley bobby would win the match by pinfall when lashley would have seth in the hurt lock and seth would kick the ropes to push back on lashley for the pin Lashley would still have the submission locked in and kick out by rolling to his side. Seth would land on the ref, and this would allow Seth to back kick Lashley in the nuts, releasing him from the hurt lock. Seth would then look to hit Lashley with the curb stomp, but Riddle's music would hit, and Riddle would walk towards the ring. Seth would then run to the ropes, ready for Riddle to try to get in, but Riddle doesn't enter the ring. Seth would turn around to look at Lashley. Lashley would hit with a spear and cover it. Seth for the win. So Bobby Lashley is still United States champion, and Seth has a bigger gripe now that Riddle has cost him the United States championship. After this, we would get the championship celebration of damage control. They're celebrating Bailey's team of EO and Dakota Kai winning the WWE Women's Championships, well, Tag Team Championships last week on Raw. Uh, damage control and Bailey would be out here, and EO would thank Bailey, but Bailey would tell EO that she should be thanking EO and Dakota for joining her on her journey and believing in her leadership. Dakota would say that they now run the women's division and that Bailey, Alexa, and Asuka need to go away. They're not needed no more. Bianca and Asuka and Alexa would come to the ring. Bianca would say that they were going to give the ladies here their victory laps, but they couldn't sit in the back and hear Bailey and her company trash talk them. Bailey would throw some jabs at Alexa Bliss for not being her former self, being the goddess, but being this person that has to carry around a doll. You would then see Alexa tell Bailey that if she keeps talking trash, she's going to drop her. So Bailey would talk some more, and Alexa will ultimately just slap Bailey in the mouth. So we would get a match between Bailey and Alexa Bliss later in the night. After this segment, we would get Kevin Owens going against Austin Theory. Kevin Owens would win the match by pinfall thanks to some distraction from Johnny Gargano. When Theory was going to grab his Money in the Bank briefcase, Johnny Gargano would pop out of nowhere and grab the briefcase. Johnny was holding the briefcase. Theory would look pissed at Johnny. Theory would then switch his attention back onto Kevin Owens, but he would get hit with a super kick by Kevin Owens. Then Kevin Owens would finish him off with a pop-up powerbomb for the win. After the match, Johnny Gargano would get in the ring as Theory is still down on the mat. Johnny would drop the briefcase on Austin Theory's nuts and smile about it because Austin Theory has kind of been a dick towards Johnny for these past couple weeks. So it was a nice like little retribution thing for Gargano to drop the briefcase on uh, Theory's nuts here. Uh, later in the night, we will see Johnny walking backstage and he will be met by the Alpha Academy. The Alpha Academy will tell Johnny that he messed with their friend Theory, so now they have a problem. Kevin Owens will walk up to Johnny and Alpha Academy will issue a tag team challenge to the team of Johnny and Kevin Owens next week, and they accept. So we have a tag match next week set up. After this, we get the brawling brutes of Ridge Holland and 
Butch coming out to the ring. They're out here to promote their upcoming match with the Usos on SmackDown for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. The Street Profits will come out and congratulate them for winning their Fatal 4-Way number 1 contenders matchup on SmackDown. But they will say, however, they didn't beat the Street Profits. So we would get a tag match between both of these two teams. The Brawling Brutes would win the match by pinfall when the Profits were looking to hit a super blockbuster on Ridge, but Butch would get on the top turnbuckle, grab Montez's hand, and snap his fingers. This would take Montez out of the match, and then you see Ridge get off of Angelo Dawkins' shoulder and smash his head into the turnbuckle, leading to Ridge holding up Dawkins in an emerald fusion, but before he could drop him, you would see Butch kick Dawkins in the head, and then Ridge would drop Dawkins, and then Ridge would cover Dawkins for the win. This is giving Brawling Brutes some momentum going into their unification tag team title match against the Usos on SmackDown. After this, it's time for the tag team matchup of the Judgment Days, Damian Priest and Finn Balor going against Matt Riddle and Rey Mysterio, but before that match happens, we have all the Judgment Day out here. This is Finn Balor, Damian Priest, Rhea Ripley, and Dominic Mysterio, and they're in San Jose, California, by the way, and this plays a very big point of this because before, like, they're out here, they're trash talking and all this type of stuff, but as soon as it's time for Dominic to say something, you start hearing the fans just booing the absolute piss out of Dominic, and I mean, they are booing him. They wouldn't even let this kid say a word, and anytime he did try to say a word, you just hear the fans just drown out Dominic. And it's to the point that San Jose wasn't trying to hear Dominic at all because, again, we're in the market of Rey Mysterio. California is like Rey Mysterio territory. And since that's Rey Mysterio's kid and Dominic turned on his father, that makes sense for that whole crowd to turn on Dominic that night and basically just make sure he did not say anything. So that further proves that if we're going to do this right, you probably want to keep the storyline over on the West Coast where Rey Mysterio's that guy over there. Because I don't think the rest of the country is going to be booing Dominic the way that this like specific place did. But anyway, after we get all that, when it's time for the tag team match happening, the Judgment Day would win the match by pinfall thanks to Seth Rollins, Rhea Ripley, and Dominic Mysterio interfering in the match. Rey Mysterio would hit Finn with the 619, then go to the top turnbuckle. Rhea would get on the ring apron, distracting the referee. Riddle would be outside of the ring, and this is where we will see Seth appear and attack Riddle. Seth would go get a chair, but before he could do anything to Riddle with the chair, Ray would come and grab the chair from Seth and chase Seth off. Dominic would stand in front of his father, and now you see Dominic give his chin to his father and tell him to hit him. You see Ray just grab the chair, and he just looks at his son, but he doesn't do it. He puts the chair down and gets back in the ring. Finn would then take this time to hit Ray with a sling blade. Well, yeah, sling blade. And then tag in Priest. Priest would hit the choke slam on Ray. Finn would go to the top turnbuckle. And then hit a coup de grace on Ray Mysterio to win the match. We would then go backstage and we see Seth and Riddle fighting backstage. And you see the backstage officials and referees pull them apart. Seth will say he's going to get Riddle and that Riddle can name the place and what type of match they want to have. Riddle will say that they want that he wants to have a match with him at Extreme Rules and the match will be Fight Pit. Fight Pit is basically WWE's version of the UFC. It's literally a ring with no ropes and they're surrounded by steel. The ring is surrounded by like the steel fences. So 
there's been two versions. Well, not two versions. There's been two matches of Fight Pit, and one of them had Matt Riddle going against Timothy Thatcher. The other one was Timothy Thatcher going against Tommaso Ciampa. So both of those happened in 2020. So if you want to look back at that, you can. Is on the Peacock WWE like portion of it, so you can understand exactly what Fight Pit is. So that's the match that we're getting at Extreme Rules between Seth and Riddle here, and also we would. Then go backstage and we see the Judgment Day hanging around backstage. You see that they're about to leave the arena trying to go out to party. But then you see Finn see somebody and he tells the Judgment Day that he's got this and tell them to go along. Finn would then walk up and we see AJ Styles is talking on the cell phone. And then you see Finn asks AJ why he's been ducking him. AJ would say that Finn has turned his back on him since he joined the Judgment Day. Finn would tell AJ that he hasn't turned his back on him, and it seems to him that AJ is just looking for a fight. And then you see AJ and Finn get face-to-face, and they just stare at each other, and then you see Finn break up the tension and just smile and hug AJ tell him, hey, it's okay, it's me. Nah, you don't want to fight, we're good. But he does still tell AJ that the invitation to join the Judgment Day is open. So that's something, again, that hasn't been touched on a lot, the last time we had an interaction, like, interaction between AJ and Finn was literally the tag matchup of Finn and Damian Priest going against AJ and Dolph Ziggler, like, I believe a month ago. And again, even in that match, AJ wasn't trying to attack Finn. So I think we're leading down that pathway of AJ and Finn actually getting a storyline of those two going against one another. It's going to be interesting because they only fought one time throughout their whole career against each other. And that was literally impromptu with no hype, no buildup, no storyline around it. But again, people love that match. So now with the storyline kind of being built up between these two, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with AJ and Finn Balor. After this, we would get Miz TV and Miz's guest was supposed to be Dexter Loomis. Miz is out here with Tommaso Ciampa. Miz is out here talking about how he has been unsafe. He talks about Dexter being at his home last week while him and his wife were gone. Uh, Miz would mention that he had a party for his daughter's birthday and it was minion theme and that he was so paranoid that he punched one of the minions. And now the kids look at Miz as a terror. Uh, Miz would then call out Dexter, but Dexter doesn't appear, at least not yet. Miz would continue to run his mouth and unbeknownst to him, you would see a camera cut to a hunter knife literally popping up from underneath the ring and he start and it started like making a cut in the ring. Miz would walk around the ring and then he would see a big cut and then Dexter will pop up like a whack-a-mole. And then you see Miz start getting dragged like into that hole by Dexter and Ciampa would save Miz by kicking Dexter in the head. And this would free Miz up. Champa would then get grabbed up by Dexter. Miz does not help Champa at all because he's still sh- like shocked at this moment. Champa will grab Miz's mic and then pop Dexter in the head, making Dexter release the grip and pop down into the hole. Miz would then start walking towards the hole and Dexter would pop up. Miz and Champa will leave the ring. And that's the end of this segment. We're still getting the whole deal of Miz uh, being shocked and being like uncomfortable around Dexter Loomis. And we still have not heard anything about Dexter Loomis, about why he's doing what he's doing, no nothing. So we only can go off of that. He just basically being a terror guy to Miz, to the point that it's going to make Miz snap. And he's going to beat up Dexter Loomis badly. That's the only way I see this kind of going down. Now it's time for the main event. Alexa Bliss with Asuka and Bianca in her corner, going against Bailey, who had damage control in her corner. 
Bailey would win the match by pinfall thanks to damage control's help. When Alexa would hit Bailey with a DDT and go to the top turnbuckle, Dakota would get on the ring apron and distract the ref so Io can knock Alexa off the top turnbuckle, and then Bailey would grab Alexa and hit the rose plant for the win. After the match, Damage Control would beat up on Alexa. Asuka would get in the ring and she would get beat up. Bianca would then get in the ring and she would actually be able to hold her own against Damage Control until she was going to hit uh, Bailey with the Glam Slam, but the numbers game was too much on her. Three on one attack would be too much. Bailey would hit Bianca with the Rose Plant. Bailey would get a mic and say that she wants the Raw Women's Championship at Extreme Rules. So that match has been made official. Bailey will be going against Bianca Belair at Extreme Rules for the Raw Women's Championship. And that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to NXT. NXT will open up with Solo Zakoa and Carmelo Hayes being in Shawn Michaels' office. Shawn will tell Solo that he needs to hand over the North American Championship because last week's match was not official. So Solo would hand over the championship and say that he had some unfinished business left in NXT. So now it seems that his business has concluded. Shawn gives Solo uh, his farewell saying, listen, wherever you go, whether it be Raw or SmackDown, you're going to do well. I appreciate your time here in NXT. Yada, yada, yada. Once Solo leaves, Melo thinks that Sean's going to hand him back the championship, but that doesn't happen. Sean tells Melo that you thought you could outsmart the system, but that didn't work out for you. So now you have an opportunity to compete, to fight for this championship at Halloween Havoc. Carmelo will be a part of this ladder match, five-man ladder match at Halloween Havoc for the vacant NXT North American Championship. For the next couple weeks to come, we would see who would be participating to get a chance to enter in that North American ladder match. Um, after this segment, we would get our first match of the night. It's Axiom going against Nathan Frazier. Best of three series right now. Axiom is 1-0 against Nathan. So if Axiom wins this match here, the series is over. Nathan would win the match by pinfall when Nathan would run up the turnbuckle and hit Axiom with a superplex, then followed up with a spinning suplex, then finished him off with a Phoenix Splash for the win. So Nathan Fraser does even out the series. So their next match, their third match, will be the final match of this best of three series. Whoever wins that will win the best of three series. This was a good match to start off NXT. After this, we will have Toxic Attractions, Gigi Dolan and JC Jane with Mandy Rose in their corner going against Tatum Paxley and Ivy Nile. Toxic Attraction would win the match by pinfall when they would hit their tag finish to high-low kick on Ivy Nile for the win. After this, we will have Schism out here on the mic. They will be out here to say that they are tired of turning the other cheek, and they let people know that if they don't join them, they will be run over. Casey would talk about how he has been constantly trying to get Cameron Grimes to join Schism, how he's constantly putting his hand out for only the camera to basically smack his hand away and again joe gacy would state that everybody now will be facing the light if they do not join schism we would then get idris anafe and malik blade to run down to the ring and they will start attacking the dyad formerly known as grizzle young veterans i do not know their names again i'm just used to calling them grizzle young vets so please bear with me uh, we would get to our tag match between the Dyad with Joe Gacy in their corner going against Malik Blade and Idris Anafe. The Dyad would win the match by pinfall when Zach Gibson would tag in James Drake 
and he would kneel down so Drake could run and then leap off of his back so he can hit Idris with a Canadian Destroyer. And then they will hit Ticket to Mayhem on Idris for the win. So the Dyad wins the match here. After this, we have Wendy Chu going against Cora Jade. Cora would win the match by pinfall when Wendy would run towards Cora, who's in the corner, and Cora would move out of the way, and Wendy would hit the second turnbuckle. Cora would then grab Wendy, hit her with the DDT, cover her for the win. After the match, Cora would leave the ring, and as Wendy was getting up to her feet, Lash Legend would slide into the ring and kick Wendy in the face. So Lash and Wendy are still continuing on with their little uh, feud that they have right now. Again, they're trying to just like kill time with Wendy and Lash and also give Lash more time on television to better enhance her wrestling skill and also make the people actually care about Lash Legend. After this, we get Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams coming out to the ring. Melo will say that last week's uh, match doesn't count and it shouldn't count. Melo wants the person who played Solo's music, the person who rang the bell, and the referee to be fired. Melo will say that Solo stole something from him last week, but still proclaims that he is still the A champion. Andre Chase and Bodie Hayward with Tia Hale will come out. Andre will say that last week was, and Melo would stop him before Andre could even say his slogan, and Melo would say that any time will be okay, but right now it's serious business. Andre Chase again would then try to say his slogan, but Trick would stop him. Andre would finally get to hit his slogan by saying last week was a teachable moment. Melo would then look at Trick, and then as he's about to try to punch Andre Chase, Chase would punch Melo first, and we would get to another tag matchup on Andre Chase and Bodie Hayward going against Melo and Trick Williams. Andre would win the match for his team by pinfall when Melo would go off the ropes for a springboard, and Andre would catch him and get him in with a pin maneuver, and basically pin Melo. So Melo has lost the match for his team as he lost last week. And now Melo is just upset in the middle of the ring. And he just can't believe that Andre Chase got a pin off of him. But Melo shouldn't worry because he still has Halloween Havoc for the North American Championship ladder match to still try to like gain some win underneath his uh, belt. After this, we had Sangha going against Von Wagner, who had Robert Stone in his corner. Von Wagner would win the match by pinfall when he would hit Sangha with the Death Valley Driver for the win. After this, we would have our North American Championship qualifying matchup of Grayson Waller going against the debuting Oro Mensa. Mensa would win the match by pinfall, thanks to a distraction from Apollo Crews. When Grayson Waller was looking to hit his rolling stunner, Apollo would appear and Waller would stop in his tracks and we would see Apollo standing there and we would see like blood rolling down his face from his eye his right eye, and remember, this is the same eye that Grayson Waller, like, scraped at Apollo's eye in his match with Apollo a couple weeks ago. Uh, this would be enough for Oro to then hit a suicida on Grayson Waller and then throw Grayson into the ring, throw him into the uh, corner, and then hit a running heel kick on Grayson for the win. So, Oro and Carmelo are now a part of the NXT North American Championship ladder match at Halloween Havoc. Next week, we will get Wesley going against Tony D'Angelo to see who will be qualifying for that matchup as well. Now it's time for the main event of NXT. Number one contenders match for the NXT Championship between Tyler Bate and J.D. McDonough. 
and Braun Breaker will be on commentary for this match. JD would win the match by pinfall when he would hit a Spanish fly off the top turnbuckle, then follow it with the Devil Inside, which is a pull-in Saito suplex for the win. So JD is your number one contender for the NXT Championship. After the match, Braun will get in the ring, and you see JD and Braun meet in the middle of the ring. You see Braun talking some smack to JD, and then you will hear the music of Ilya Dragunov, and you will see JD look towards the stage as Ilya's coming out, and he just starts screaming out, no, no. And for the people that don't know, JD McDonough and Ilya had a rivalry in NXT UK, when Ilya was the NXT UK champion, and they had a match where the winner would be the NXT UK champion, while the loser would have to leave NXT UK, and Ilya won the match, and JD basically left, so that's the reason how we got JD over here on NXT in America. So, now with Ilya being here in NXT, JD knows exactly what Ilya's coming for. Ilya would get in the ring, and he would just look at JD. He looks at Braun. Braun's in the middle of these two. He lifts up the NXT Championship in the air. So that tells you where we could be leading to a triple threat match, but it has not been announced yet. So right now, we do know for certain that JD McDonough is going against Braun Breaker for the NXT Championship sometime soon since he is the number one contender. And that's how NXT would end. So that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now on to AEW Dynamite. This is their Author Ash uh, Grand Slam special episode. And we will start off with the Ring of Honor World Championship matchup between Chris Jericho and Claudio Castagnoli. Chris Jericho would win the Ring of Honor Championship by pinfall when Claudio was going for the neutralizer, but Jericho would flip Claudio over him and Claudio would almost run into the ref. Jericho would then take this opportunity to kick Claudio in the nuts and then hit him with the Judas effect for the win. So Chris Jericho is your new Ring of Honor champion. This is his eighth world championship run. He's the first man to win the WWF, WWE, and AEW, and now the Ring of Honor championship as well. And I don't think no other dude's going to do that, so congrats to Chris Jericho for that. After the match, the Jericho Appreciation Society would come out to celebrate with Chris on the ramp. You So you have everybody except for Daniel Garcia, who he would come out out of the tunnel like last, and he does not look happy. He looks like you cheated to win the championship, but he like raises his hand up to give Chris Jericho a nonchalant high five, and that's it. So you can tell there's still some disdain between Daniel Garcia and Chris Jericho there. Jericho didn't let Daniel Garcia reign on his parade as he's now the Ring of Honor champion. And again, Jericho being Ring of Honor champion is not a bad thing because that could help like leverage Tony Khan to like get some Ring of Honor like deal in structure, or he probably already got a Ring of Honor like television deal structured out. So Chris Jericho being the Ring of Honor champion, if Ring of Honor gets television, that's a good thing, because if people don't know this, here's the deal. Jericho was the first ever AEW World Champion, and that's whenever AEW was going to uh, start premiering on Turner uh, Broadcasting, TNT at the time. So now, with Jericho being the Ring of Honor Champion, and Ring of Honor possibly, maybe, getting some TV time, is not going to hurt for Jericho to be 
the world champion. As a matter of fact, it can lend Ring of Honor some credibility because you have a person that people actually respect, like Chris Jericho, a name value market uh marketable type guy to be your world champion. It can make people actually say, okay, Chris Jericho is what promotions champion? Okay, let me let me check out this because name recognition and credibility. So Chris Jericho could be the doorway for Ring of Honor to get some television uh, deals. So I'll have to wait and see on that. But Chris Jericho being Ring of Honor World Champion is not a bad thing, especially with the storyline between Daniel Garcia and Chris Jericho going on. Uh, after this, we will have the AEW Tag Team Championship match. The acclaimed with Billy Gunn in their corner going against Swerve in Our Glory, which is Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee, who came out with rapper Fabulous. Uh, Fabulous was only there for the entrance, and then after that, I did not see him nowhere around the ring. Uh, the acclaim would win the tag team championships by pinfall thanks to some help from Billy Guns, because Billy Guns would be outside the ring as Swerve would hit the acclaim with a springboard 450 to the outside of the ring. And once Swerve would get up to his feet, you would see Swerve get in the face of Billy Guns, and now you have that interaction between this. The referee would come outside of the ring. Keith Lee's trying to go over and try to stop his boy Swerve from doing anything, but the ref would grab Keith Lee and tell him that he needs to go back to his side of the ring. So as this happens, you will see Billy Guns kick Swerve in the gut and hit him with the Famouser and then throw him in the ring. So then you will see the claim hit their finisher on uh, Swerve. It's Anthony Bowens grabbing Swerve and hitting him with a spinning, like, belly-to-belly style suplex. And then Max Caster will finish off Swerve with the mic drop, which is an elbow drop for the win. And after the bell has been rung, you would hear Arthur Ashe, like, people just explode. People are cheering the acclaim because they're in New York. These are two New York guys, homegrown talent from AEW. And I mean, people are just loving that the acclaim are now your new AEW tag team champions here. And we would get a shot of... Keith Lee just standing in the middle of the ring, just watching as the acclaim are being showered with all this love and confetti coming down. And then you see Swerve walking up the ramp with his hand on his head. And he's just in shock that he just lost the tag titles. And Swerve was not getting no love here. He was getting completely booed. Keith Lee was getting booed here. But I mean, Swerve was like getting booed booed because he's the villain in this situation here. So I can expect Swerve to probably go after the acclaim next week, being violent and vicious. And I don't know if he's going to stick with Keith Lee. I understand they're playing off the Shaq and Kobe dynamic of like Swerve being the Kobe to Keith's Shaq, but I'm not sure if we're going to keep these two together being a team. If we do, that's great. If we don't, hey man, that's great because you still got two single stars on your hands with Keith and Swerve. But We'll see how it goes. They should run this back one more time. I do know that because both teams now have a win on each other. So I will hope we get to see this match be run back one more time. But again, congratulations to the claim for being the AEW Tag Team Champions. After this, we would get Willie Uta on stage for an interview with Tony Schiavone, but he will be interrupted by Maxwell Jacob Freeman, MJF. MJF will be out here to cut into the Blackpool Combat Club, MJF would say that he was out here to wish Mox and Brian Danielson luck because they aren't wrestling for the World Championship. They are wrestling to see who was going to lose the World Championship to MJF. 
you will say that MGF is the lowest form of human trash and that he always goes for low-hanging fruit. Yuta would go down that road by stating that MGF just recently got engaged and that his fiance might be a little too smart because she is going to leave MGF just like MGF did to the fans. MGF would applaud Yuta for his attempts at trying to get underneath his skin, but MGF would retort. He would say that Yuta can go to his mentor. She can go to the Blackpool Combat Club and he could ask them all for advice. He could ask Brian how he could become injury prone and have his brains scramble like scrambled eggs. He can ask Moxley and then MJF will stop himself and say, well, you can't ask Moxley. Moxley's weird. You can't ask him nothing. And then he says, well, you can ask Regal how it feels to pop pills. And then you can see Yuta just get so upset that MJF has got to him that he just slaps MJF in the face. MJF would headbutt Yuta, and now we have Yuta on the ground. We have Tony Giovanni put his hands on MJF. MJF would turn around and just shove Tony Giovanni off of him and tell him don't ever put his hands on him again, and then he would, like, shove Tony's head. He would go to look back at Yuta. Yuta would take down MJF, start beating up on MJF. W. Morrissey would come out, grab Yuta by the throat, and start choking him. You see Yuta's face turn a little bit purple. And then you see Morrissey hold Yuta up so MGF can hit him in the face with the dynamite diamond ring. Yuta goes down. You see security come out to separate MGF and Morrissey from Yuta. And you see Morrissey and MGF walk to the back. So MGF is out here proving his dominance, showing that, hey, listen, I'm the next guy to be the world champion here. I'm going to say and do whatever I want. We're still having MGF be that top bad guy for the company here that's what mgf's whole point is and mgf is doing a good job with it and also with morrissey coming out here to add some assistance to mgf is still just applauds on to last week's explanation of stokely hathaway's the firm they're out here and they're here for mgf's protection so morrissey did his job after this we would get to the All-Atlantic Championship match of Orange Cassidy going against the champion Pac. Pac would win the match by pinfall when Pac was outside of the ring next to the timekeeper uh, table, and he's leaning on the table. Pac would grab the timekeeper's uh, hammer. The hammer is like for you to ring the ring bell. So when Pac does this, he has the hammer in his hands, and he's covering it. Orange Cassidy would come outside of the ring, grab Pac, but Pac would grab Orange Cassidy in a headlock and then, like, punch him in the head with the hammer in his hand. Referee doesn't see this happen. Pac puts the hammer on the table. He rolls Orange Cassidy's body back into the ring. He covers Orange Cassidy, and he gets the win. So Pac is still your All-Atlantic champion, and he's still one-third of the trios champion. And this was a good match between Orange Cassidy and Pac. I believe this is their, what, second match together, singles. But they have great in-ring chemistry. And as a matter of fact, it seemed that Orange Cassidy was actually putting a beating on Pac to the point that Pac had to cheat. Pac had to cheat to beat Orange Cassidy because if he didn't, Orange Cassidy more or less would have won the All Atlantic Championship. And again, it just furthers, like, brings into the story of Pack feeling that Orange Cassidy is below him, but you had to cheat to beat Orange Cassidy to retain your All-Atlantic Championship, so 
is he really below you or you're just afraid that you think somebody that blows you was going to win the title off of you and that you would really be below them. So that adds more intrigue into the story between Orange Cassidy and Pac. But in the end, Pac is still your All-Atlantic champion. After this, we get a fatal four-way match for the AEW Interim Women's Championship. Britt Baker with Rebel in her corner going against Serena Deed, going against Athena, going against the Interim Women's Champion, Tony Storm. Tony Storm would win the match by pinfall when she would get Britt in the Crucifix pin for the win. Great four-way matchup for the Interim Women's Championship between all four of these ladies here. Uh, after the match, Britt would attack Tony from behind. Jamie Hayter would come down to the ring to stop Britt from attacking Tony. You will see Britt and Jamie look at each other, and it looks like, okay, Jamie's finally going to beat up on Britt here, but no. You will see Britt and Jamie rush over to attack Tony Storm now, so now it's a two-on-one beatdown. Athena would try to get in the ring to stop the attack, but Athena would get attacked by Serena Deed, so now it's a four-on-two beatdown, and it, Britt would get her glove on, and it looks like she's about to apply lockjaw on somebody. But music would hit, and this would just stop everybody in their tracks. You see Britt Baker, Jamie, Serena look at the entrance ramp because we hear music and we know somebody's coming out. And then on the screen, it says Soraya. And for people that don't know, Soraya is the formerly known as Paige in the WWE. So Soraya is now in AEW. She comes down to the ring. The fans are losing their mind. They're happy to see her. Soraya would get in the ring. Britt and her company would leave the ring. And we would get like a dual camera shot of Britt Baker and the rest of the other women that were in this match looking in the ring as Soraya's in the ring, just saying that this is her house now. So Soraya is now in AEW. It brings some more depth and credibility to the AEW women's uh, locker room. But my biggest concern is now is... Is she going to be wrestling in AEW? I would think that she is because you don't just hire a big name like Soraya into your company without her wrestling. And I understand people might have some uh, concerns about Soraya because of her neck and the way that she's been uh, sidelined just in the safety protocol that WWE had her in because people are worried about her. I understand that. But if Soraya is out here and she says she can wrestle, she's fine. She's gotten looked at by trainers and they say that she can wrestle. Let her do it. And I guarantee you, if she can't do it, she won't do it. So I'm going to give Soraya a shot. We're going to all give her a shot. It ain't like we got any other choice here. But I'm just going to wait and see. I want to see who her first opponent is going to be, see how she moves around the ring. Because again, Soraya hasn't been in the ring since what? 2015? 2015 ish? Was it 2015? God, or was it 2018? I want to say 2018. Let's go with 2018 because that's when Mandy Rose and uh, Sonya Deville got brought up to the main roster. So, yeah, 2018. So, it's going to be interesting to see uh, Soraya back in the ring. It's going to be interesting to see her now in AEW. And it's just going to be interesting. I'll. I just can't wait to see. I'm happy that she's able to do something that she's wanted to do because it's been documented that she wanted to be in the ring, but WWE wouldn't allow her the same way that WWE wouldn't allow uh, Brian Danielson until Brian had to say, listen, put me in the ring. I'm going to do it. I'll be fine. And all this type of stuff. But 
We'll see how Soraya works in the ring if she ever gets in the ring. But again, congratulations to AEW for snagging up Soraya. Now we go to the main event for the AEW World Championship. This is the finals of the tournament. Brian Danielson going against John Moxley. MGF would be watching the match in the skybox. Moxley would win the match by referee stoppage when Moxley would hit Brian Danielson with the Death Rider on the entrance ramp. And then Brian would roll into the ring. Moxley would get in the ring and lock in the bulldog choke on Brian. And Brian would pass out. The referee would lift up Brian's arm. Brian does not respond, so the referee has to call for the bell. So Moxley is now your first ever four-time AEW World Champion. Moxley winning the bell here. I did not expect that. I thought Brian Danielson was going to do it. But it makes a lot of sense because MGF is the guy holding the chip above everyone's head. He could cash that in at any time for the AEW World Championship. And for Moxley to be the champion, it just makes sense for uh, MGF to take the title off of Moxley. But I do hope we get a championship win from Brian Danielson like somewhere down the line because I'm not going to lie to you. I thought that Brian Danielson was going to win this and he was going to be world champion. I really did. But that didn't happen. So Moxley is now your AEW world champion. And that's how AEW Dynamite ends. So that's your AEW Dynamite wrestling highlights of the week. And now we're off to Impact Wrestling. This is Impact Wrestling's last episode until Victory Road. And to open up Impact, we will have a ladder match for the Digital Media Championship between Bupinder Gujir going against Brian Myers. This is Bupinder's first ladder match in his wrestling career. They would make note of that on commentary. And Bupinder does have a good match with Brian. You could tell that he was inexperienced with the ladder because he didn't really like do many things with the ladder. As a matter of fact, he was getting beat up a lot by Brian Myers, who was able to use his veteran experience by incorporating the ladder in multiple things that he did in his match. At one point, you saw Brian Myers pick up the ladder and drop it on Bupinder's face, and it kind of like busted uh, Bupinder's nose because Bupinder started to bleed like from the nose and probably like from his mouth during the match. Uh, you saw at one point Brian throw Bupinder into the ladder, which was angled in the corner. And once Bupinder hit the ladder, the ladder would then fall on Bupinder. And then at one point in the match as well, uh, Brian Myers would be outside of the ring, had the ladder posted up like in a position on the steel steps, and he would powerbomb Bupinder onto the ladder. And that was a nice sick thud that you would hear Bupinder's body like smack onto the ladder. So again, you could tell Bupinder's inexperience with ladder matches compared to Brian Myers' like veteran experience with a ladder match here. Um, Bupinder does get close to winning the ladder uh, match whenever he is able to take care of Brian Myers and then he's climbing the ladder. Brian would get on to another ladder and he would climb up low blow Bupinder and then have duct tape and then duct tape Bupinder's left leg onto a ladder step and Bupinder would have to watch as Brian Myers would climb up the ladder and unclip the Digital Media Championship and Brian Myers is your Digital Media Champion. This was a good ladder match between both of these guys. Again, Bupinder was going to learn from this. He's going to gain knowledge from this and I'm telling you right now, I don't think the rivalry between Bupinder and Brian Myers is going to be done after this matchup because Bupinder is going to have a gripe because he got duct taped to the ladder. So I I expect this rivalry to go forward into the future. After that match, we will have another matchup of Jordan Grace going against Zicky Dice, who had Johnny Swinger in his corner. Jordan Grace would win the match by pinfall when she would hit the Grace Driver, which is a pump-handled driver on Zicky for the win. This was a 
just throwaway match. This was just to give Jordan Grace some momentum going into her match against uh, Max the Impaler at Victory Road. So that's all this match was basically for. Ziggy Dice didn't get no offense on Jordan that I can remember. And if he did, it was probably like nothing like major. It wasn't anything that would be like, oh, no. Jordan Grace just dominated Ziggy in this match. After this, we have a fatal five-way matchup of Laredo Kid, Black Tarus, Alex Zane, Trey Miguel, and Mia Yim. Black Tarus would win the match by pinfall when Alex Zane and Laredo Kid were the two participants in the ring while everybody else was outside of the ring. Alex Zane would try to go for a spiral tap on Laredo Kid, but Laredo Kid would have his knees up, so Alex would hit his back onto Laredo's knees. And then you would see Black Tarus get in the ring. He would spear Laredo Kid. And then he would grab Alex Zane and hit Destination Hellhole on Alex Zane, which is basically Chuck Taylor's uh, finish, the Awful Waffle, which is a inverted pile driver for the win. Uh, after this, we have Heath Slater, or Heath, coming down to the ring and say that Impact has given him the okay to have an open challenge to any member of Honor No More for a street fight. So he would call out anybody to come down to the ring. PCO would answer the challenge, and PCO would start making his way down to the ring, but Honor No More would come out to try to stop PCO from, like, getting into this match with Heath, and the person who's, like, trying to stop PCO the most out of anybody in Honor No More is Eddie Edwards. Eddie would tell PCO that his mind doesn't belong to him, it belongs to Honor No More, but more specifically, it belongs to Eddie Edwards, since he is kind of like the de facto leader of Honor No More. Heath would tell PCO that he is supposed to be this big monster, but the only thing he sees is a lapdog to Eddie Edwards. PCO would push Eddie away from him, and PCO would walk towards the ring. So we would get the match of Heath going against PCO in a street fight. Heath would win the match by pinfall in this wild street fight. And when I say wild, I mean because of this moment in the match where Heath and PCO were on the stage, and Heath would have a section of the fans like, move away from their seats. So the only thing you see is this big patch of chairs, like empty chairs, and Heath would throw PCO off the stage onto this bunch of standing chairs. So PCO would be taken out for a good period of time out of this matchup here. And this would allow Honor No More to come down to the ring and surround Heath, who's now in the middle of the ring. So now you have Eddie Edwards, Matt Taven, Mike Bennett, and Kenny King surrounding the ring here. Uh, Josh Alexander and Rich Swan would run down to the ring with steel chairs to back up Heath. Eddie Edwards would get hit in the back by Josh Alexander, while Rich Swan would scare away Taven, Bennett, and Kenny King. Uh, Josh Alexander would be able to lock in the ankle lock on Eddie Edwards, but you would see Taven and Bennett grab Eddie and like run off with Eddie. So now, as Honor No More has now left, the ringside area, you have Josh Alexander and Rich still there to make sure Heath is going to be all right. And then we see PCO get up from that area that had all those empty chairs that he fell onto. He gets up and he starts walking towards the ring. So Heath the PCO will still do battle. And towards the end of the match, PCO would get outside the ring, throw bunches of chairs into the ring. He will lock in the manable claw on Heath and keep Heath down onto the mat. And you will see PCO go to the top turnbuckle and go for a senton on Heath, but Heath will move out of the way. So PCO will land on a big patch of chairs 
And once PCO got to his feet, Heath would get up and hit the wake-up call on PCO and cover him for the win. When the match was beginning, I didn't understand why Honor No More didn't stay around. Vincent stayed around with PCO because Eddie told him to, but I didn't understand why Eddie, Bennett, Taven, and Kenny King didn't stay around because this is a street fight. Street fight means anything goes. So I feel that this is just going to add on to another layer of story between Eddie Edwards and PCO because Eddie has been beefing with PCO for a nice good couple of months now. And it's only going to come to the point where I think at Battle for Glory, PCO is going to like cost Eddie Edwards the match and cost him the Impact World Championship. But we'll have to see where that happens at Battle for Glory. After this, we have Ozzy Open going against the Motor City Machine Guns, where the winners will face the World Tag Team Champions at Bound for Glory. Motor City Machine Guns would win the match by pinfall when they would hit Skull and Bones on Mark Davis for the win. When this match was announced, I thought, okay, Ozzy Open versus Motor City Machine Guns. We know that Motor City Machine Guns is going to win. It would have shot me if Ozzy Open would have won, but nope, Motor City Machine Guns did. I personally thought we were going to get Motor City Machine Guns going against FTR because, again, Impact has been doing business with AEW for some time now. And I thought since FTR isn't doing nothing on AEW television at the moment, they would probably go to Impact and try to gather more gold. But that's not happening. Or unless we can get a pivot where we can get Taven and Bennett losing the tag titles to FTR. It's still got time, but not enough time for that kind of stuff to happen. So the only thing for certain is that we know we're getting Motor City Machine Guns going against the World Tag Team Champions. It all depends on who's going to be the World Tag Team Champions when Battle for Glory rolls around. Now it's time for the main event, the contract signing between Steve Macklin, Moose, and Sammy Callahan for Bob Wire Massacre at Victory Road. Steve Macklin, Moose will be out here. Scott Demore will be out here to be the officiant for the contract signing. And when it's time for Sammy Callahan's music to play and Sammy's time for him to come out, Sammy doesn't come out. Steve and Moose will be sitting in the ring. Scott Demore would accuse Moose and Steve of doing something to Sammy, but they both said that they didn't. Moose would say that he isn't worried about Sammy because Sammy's been in the ring with him and he knows what Moose is all about. And that is something that Macklin is going to experience. Moose would say that Macklin is going to experience hell on earth. Macklin would brush off Moose's comments and mention how he has been through war and Moose isn't something that he worries. Macklin would say that he's lucky to be here with all four of his limbs. Macklin would state that a match like Barbara Massacre is a match that transcends people like him. And at Victory Road, it will be mayhem for all. You would then get Sammy Callahan's music hit again. And now this time, Sammy Callahan will come out. Sammy will say that they did get the jump on him by beating him up for weeks. But now they have learned that Sammy is the master puppeteer. Sammy's making reference of him having Moose and Macklin having trust issues with each other after playing the video of them talking bad about each other, talking about backstabbing one another last week on Impact. Uh, Macklin and Moose would tell Sammy to shut up and just sign the contract, so Sammy will pull out a bob wire wrapped pin, and as he's about to sign the contract, Macklin would pop Sammy in the head with a pin. Moose and Macklin would then beat up on Sammy, and then you see Moose put Sammy up in the tree of woe, which is basically putting somebody upside down on the turnbuckle, Moose would tell Macklin or Steve to go into the corner and run into Sammy. And Macklin would do that, but Moose would spear Macklin as soon as he hits the middle of the ring. Moose would then get a table and put it up in the corner of the ring. 
and wait for Sammy to get up so Moose can try to spear Sammy through the table. And as he goes to run towards Sammy, Sammy would move out of the way and push Moose into the table, making Moose crash through the table. Sammy would then pick up Moose and hit him with a pile driver in the middle of the ring. And as Sammy would leave the ring, he would grab the contract, wipe the blood that's on his face onto the contract. So that's Sammy like verbally signing the contract. So it's all been made official. So at Victory Road, we are getting Bob Wire Massacre, Steve Macklin, Sammy Callahan, and Moose. That is was your last thing that you saw on Impact. So that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with the bloodline coming down to the ring. You have Roman Reigns, you have the Usos, you have Sami Zayn, you have Paul Heyman, and you have Solo Sokoa. Um, they get in the ring. Paul would run down the checklist of accolades of the bloodline. He would say Roman is still the undisputed champion. He would talk about how Solo came into the bloodline, mentioning that bringing Solo into this group was not the idea of himself or Romans. It was the idea of the elder Samoans. So Solo is basically in this group to be the enforcer, and that's his title for the bloodline. He's the enforcer of the bloodline. Paul would then give some time for the Usos to talk about how tonight after their match, they will still be your undisputed tag team champions. Jay would go into their slogan, but before he could finish off his slogan, uh, Roman would have his hand out for the mic and basically interrupt Jay. So Jay will look at Roman and give Roman the mic, and Roman will call Solo. And Solo would walk towards Roman, and Roman would tell Solo that you might have been called up from the elders, but you take orders from me now, and I want you to acknowledge me. So Solo would acknowledge Roman Reigns. Roman will hug Solo, and Roman would like give the head nod and make the signal for everybody to leave the ring. And as they're leaving the ring, Sami Zayn would stop, and he would talk, and he would say that he knows he's not technically blood, but he does appreciate the bloodline for accepting him, and he acknowledges Roman Reigns as his tribal chief. Roman would stop and look at Sammy, and he would say this to Sammy. I like you, Sammy. Why are you saying anything right now? I, I get it. I, I've been seeing what's happening here, but, like, why do you have our shirt on? Why you got our shirt on? Why are you tagging along this whole thing? What, what, what's this about? What do you want? I want you to take that shirt off. Roman, I... I don't know if you're kidding or if you're not kidding. If, if this is about what happened with Logan Paul last week, I, I can explain, okay? Just don't make any rash decisions. Last week, uh, last week. Logan Paul, when you disrespected the wise man last week, we're talking about last week. Sammy, I'm not going to tell you again. Take our shirt off. Now. So with Sammy standing in the middle of the ring like a child that just got scolded by a parent, he is just standing there, just froze. So... Roman would yell for Jay to take Sammy's shirt off, which he does. Jay would run over and just rip the Bloodline shirt off of Sammy. And Sammy would just now just, again, stand there like a child just got scolded. And he's just standing there feeling humiliated, feeling embarrassed. Roman would have this to say to Sammy. I need you to listen for once. I don't want to see you in that shirt ever again. Do you understand me? You ain't ever gonna wear a Bloodline shirt ever again. 
You ain't ever gonna wear it again because I got you a new one. Anything you wanna say? Yes. As a matter of fact, there is. I acknowledge you, Tribal Chief. So Sami Zayn has a new t-shirt and on the t-shirt that Roman hands him, it says Honorary Oos. So Sami Zayn has finally been included into the bloodline. So Sami will get the shirt, put it on. He does his handshake with Jimmy. He hugs Solo. He ends up hugging Roman. Jay is still the only person not really rocking with Sammy. He still ain't with it, but he goes along with it because everybody else is going along with it. Uh, later in the night, we will see Sammy being backstage and he would get stopped by Madcap and Ricochet. They would say Sammy has become more obnoxious than he has been ever before. Sammy would tell them that they can't speak to him like that because when you talk to him, you're now talking to not just an honorary ooze, but you're messing with the entire bloodline. Ricochet would say that Sammy isn't really a part of them and that he's just a joke. Solo Sokoa would rush Ricochet and Madcap and beat them both up to the point that Sammy would have to stop Solo and Sammy and Solo would walk away. It will be announced that next week on SmackDown, it will be Ricochet and Madcap Moss going against Sami Zayn and Solo Sokoa. After this, we will have our first match of the night, Liv Morgan going against Lacey Evans. Liv Morgan would win the match by pinfall when Lacey would go outside of the ring and get a kendo stick and then get inside the ring. Lacey would try to swing the stick at Liv, but Liv would duck it and hit Lacey with the code breaker, then Oblivion for the win. After the match, Liv would pick up the kendo stick, and it looks like she's going to hit Lacey with it, but she doesn't. Well, she doesn't until she stops and thinks about it, and then she picks up the kendo stick and starts laying into the back of Lacey Evans. Lacey would get out of the ring, Liv would follow her, she would grab Lacey and hit a white Russian leg sweep next to the barricade, and then Liv would go underneath the ring, grab a table, put the table up, put Lacey Evans on the table, go to the top turnbuckle, jump off, and smash Lacey through the table with a senton. So Liv is now trying to make her message known that she can get extreme. She's not this dainty little flower that everybody thinks she is. She's trying to let everybody know that she can get violent, as violent as she needs to be to beat Ronda Rousey in her upcoming match with Ronda at Extreme Rules. So that's what this match was trying to signify. After this, we have New Day of Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods going against Maximum Male Models, Marseille and Mansois with Max Dupree and Maxine Dupree at ringside. New Day would win the match by pinfall when Maxine would be taking photos of Marseille and Mansois when they had Xavier down on the ground. And Max Dupree will be yelling at um, Masse and Maswa. This would allow Kofi to come into the ring, drop kick Masse out of the ring, and Woods would get up and get uh, Maswa into the backwoods for the win. After the match, you would see Max Dupree just chastising Maxine, Masse, and Maswa for not finishing the job when they had the opportunity, but for taking photos. It would get to the point that Max would take off his suit jacket and start beating it on the ring and then walk away from them. So it seems to me that Maximum Male Models are having a little bit of issues right now, but we'll see how all that gets fixed next week on SmackDown or if it will get fixed. After this, we had the battle of two big dudes, Braun Strowman going against Otis. 
And what I mean by big dudes, I mean by just in sheer size, not by height, but by weight. They did uh, tails of the tape before the matchup. Braun is six foot eight. Otis is five foot ten, but both of them are three hundred and some odd pounds. So you can kind of expect this was going to be nothing but two dudes just slugging it out. Not in the way Gunther and Sheamus did at Clash of the Castle, but just two dudes with power uh, moves with clotheslines and just trying to slam each other. And that's what happened here with Braun and Otis. In the end, Braun would win the match by pinfall when he would powerbomb Otis in the middle of the ring. After this, we would have Drew McIntyre coming down to the ring, and he's holding a leather strap rolled up. Drew talks about how Karrion Cross has had a problem with him, but instead of Karrion going at him like a man head on, he would be jumping him from behind. Drew would announce that he's talked to people at the top and he's got a match at Extreme Rules. It would be Karrion Cross going against Drew McIntyre in a strap match. So this would be the opportunity for Karrion Cross not to run away from Drew and have him face up Drew head on like a man. Scarlet would appear on the entrance stage, and this would be a way for Karrion to try to attack Drew from behind like he's done for weeks and weeks before, but Drew would be prepared for this, and he would turn around as he sensed Karrion was right behind him, and now you have both of these two guys fighting with each other. Drew would get the better of it by throwing Karrion into the shoulder, uh, no, into the ring post shoulder first, and then you would see Drew go over to uh, Karrion's arm and lock the strap around his arm and now you see both of them just strapped to each other so you see uh, Drew big boot Karrion in the face and then he starts taking the strap and just start hitting Karrion in the back Karrion's not wearing a shirt by the way for this so this is nothing but just straight up leather belt connecting to the back of Karrion Cross. Drew will hit Karrion about a good three times in the back with the strap Scarlet would get in the ring and try to stop Drew from attacking Karrion. And she's able to do so for at least a brief couple seconds until Drew tries to go back. And then you would see Scarlet like throw a fireball into Drew's face. But it will only graze Drew. And this would allow Karrion to go over and try to attack Drew McIntyre. But Drew would start uh, punching at Karrion, hit him with a spine buster. Scarlet would low blow Drew. And then this would allow Karrion to lock in the straight jacket on Drew McIntyre. Uh, Karrion would tell Drew as Drew's fading away that he fell for Karrion's trap all along and that he accepts this match at Extreme Rules. So the leather match, well, leather strap match has been accepted. Karrion Cross will be going against Drew McIntyre. And this will be Karrion's first like big major match since he's been back in the WWE fold a good couple months ago. So... I can't wait to see that, personally, because I know with these two dudes, they're going to give it their all, so expect a lot of bruising when that strap match comes along at Extreme Rules. After this, we have Raquel Rodriguez going against Dakota Kai, who had damage control in her corner. Raquel would run the match by pinfall when Shotzi Blackheart would come down to the ring when Bailey got involved in the match. Shotzi would attack Bailey. Eo would try to run over and help Bailey, but... This would allow Dakota to yell at Shotzi, and Raquel would take opportunity and roll up Dakota for the win. After the match, Damage Control would attack Raquel and Shotzi, but Shotzi would hit uh, Bailey with a DDT, then throw EO out of the ring. Raquel would then kick Dakota out of the ring, so the last image that you have is Raquel and Shotzi holding the ring as Damage Control are retreating. 
and it was announced that next week on SmackDown, it will be Bayley going against Shotzi Blackheart. Now it's time for the main event of SmackDown, the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship matchup, the Brawling Brutes, which are Butch and Rich Holland, with Sheamus in their corner, going against the Usos, who has Solo Sokoa and Sami Zayn in their corner. The Usos would win the match by pinfall, thanks to interference from Sami, Solo, and Imperium. Towards the end of the match, it looks that the Brawling Brutes were going to win the match. Sammy would get a chair and try to slide it into the ring, but Sheamus would walk up on Sammy. This would make Sammy start retreating and walking away. Solo Sokoa would walk in front of Sammy. So now it has Sheamus and Solo about to look like they're about to get into something, but then you would see Imperium run down to the ring and attack Sheamus. This would take uh, Butch and Ridge's eyes off the Usos and have them leave the ring to have Imperium basically retreat. And then you see the Usos leave the ring, and they will superkick both Ridge and Butch. Once they do this, you will see them throw Butch back into the ring. They hit Butch with the 1D. They cover him for the win. So the Usos are still your undisputed tag team champions. And they're also one more step closer to trying to break the longest uh, reign as tag team champions in WWE history. Right now, the New Day hold it by 482 days, I believe. 482 or 483, and the Usos are not that far behind. So it seems to me that they're trying to have the Usos break the New Day's reign. But we'll see if that happens. But in the end, the final image that you see on SmackDown is Sammy, Solo, and the Usos standing tall at the end of SmackDown. So that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Rampage. Rampage will open up with a no-disqualification tag team match of House of Black's Brody King and Buddy Matthews with Julia Hart in their corner going against Sting and Darby Allin. Sting and Darby would win the match by pinfall when Sting would be handcuffed and he's sitting in a chair. Buddy will be going at Sting with his baseball bat ready to nail Sting, but the lights will go out. Once the lights pop back on, we see the great Muda... Uh, Music hit, Great Muda got a Titantron, a custom Titantron from AEW in their uh, production team. And you see Great Muda walking towards the ring. Now, once Muda gets in the ring, he starts walking towards Sting. And we think Muda's going to attack Sting because they have uh, some history with each other from their time in WCW in the early 90s. But he does not attack Sting. He actually looks at Buddy Matthews, and Buddy Matthews knows what's about to happen, so Buddy goes to kick Muda, but Muda would catch Buddy's leg and hit him with a dragon screw. Then you would see Buddy get up off the dragon screw holding his leg, and you would see Muda missed Buddy in the face. Julia would get on the ring apron trying to uh, navigate Buddy, but Buddy would be too caught up with the miss being in his face that he inadvertently knocks Julia off the ring apron and have Julia sent through one of the tables that were set up around the ring. So once that happened, you would see Sting bust the handcuffs and then he grabs buddy matthews and hit him with a scorpion death drop and then cover him for the win now you might be asking yourself where was brody king and darby allen when all this stuff happened well brody king and darby allen were on the entrance stage brody king had darby in a sleeper hold and he would basically hold him drape him off of the entrance stage the same way that he did at one of their battle royals earlier in the year but instead, you would see Darby Allen kind of like move his way towards the edge of the stage. And you would see both Darby and Brody go off the stage, crashing through some tables 
on the floor. So that's where Brody and Darby was whenever this ending of the match happened. But again, Sting and Darby do win the match. After this, we have Hook and Action Bronson going against Jericho Appreciation Society's 2.0. Hook and Action Bronson would win the match by submission when both Hook and Action would lock in the Red Rum on 2.0, and 2.0 would tap at the exact same time. Action Bronson, he did a little bit of work here and there. I mean, he hit a couple clothesline. He had a body, like a running body uh, attack onto one of the members of 2.0. He would hit a running power slam. So, I mean, he did the basics to make sure he doesn't get hurt. That was a good thing for Action. But Hook was the guy who, well, he's the wrestler. So, he has to, like, do what he got to do in the ring. But it wasn't, like, a long match neither. So, for Hook and Bronson to win this match, we all knew that was going to happen. But I just want to say that Action did well for what he was supposed to do. Uh, after this, we had a tag team match of Samoa Joe and Warlow going against Tony Nese and Josh Woods, who had Mark Sterling in their corner. Warlow and Samoa Joe would win the match by pinfall when Joe would hit Tony Nese with the muscle buster for the win. After the match, Josh Woods would get in the ring and attack Joe, but Warlow would get in and clothesline Josh. Warlow would then grab Tony Nese, put him between his legs, and it looks like he's about to powerbomb him, but Mark Sterling would get in the ring and hit Warlow in the back with his TNT championship. Warlow would turn around, look at Mark. Mark would try to run out of the ring and escape, but Samoa Joe would grab Mark and throw him into Warlow. Warlow would then powerbomb Mark Sterling three times, and that's the end of that. So Warlow got his uh, powerbombs off of Mark Sterling, and Samoa Joe got to, well, basically be Samoa Joe. Got to hit somebody with a muscle buster here. So there's nothing to complain about with this match. After this, we had Ray Phoenix going against Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy won win the match by pinfall when Phoenix would go for the Black Fire Driver. But Jungle Boy would reverse out of it into a cradle, uh, inside cradle pin for the win. After the match, Phoenix and Jungle Boy would show respect for each other by shaking each other's hands and bowing to one another. Once Phoenix would leave the ring and Jungle Boy is like on the second turnbuckle celebrating his win, Christian K's music would hit and you would see Christian walk out onto the stage and he has his arm in a sling. Christian would be standing there, Luchasaurus' music would hit. Jungle Boy is waiting for Luchasaurus to come out of the entrance tunnel, but Luchasaurus does not. He actually pops up from the opposite end of the ring and Luchasaurus would get in the ring. He gets in Jungle Boy's face, he headbutts him, and then he hits the KOD on Jungle Boy. Christian would get in the ring, and he says that he's giving Jungle Boy one last warning not to show up next week on Dynamite. He tells him that he is never going to one-up him, he isn't going to be as smart as him, and he will never beat him. Christian would tell Luchasaurus to finish off Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus would by picking up Jungle Boy and hitting him with a choke slam. So we'll have to see what happens next week on Dynamite with Christian and Jungle Boy. After this, we had Eddie Kingston going against Sammy Guevara, who had Ty Mello in his corner. Eddie Kingston would win the match by submission when he would hit three spinning back fists on Sammy, then lock in the stretch plum, and Sammy would tap out. After the match, the ref would tell Eddie to let go of the hold, but Eddie Kingston does not because he still holds some resentment onto Sammy. This is nothing but pure hatred right here. This would lead up to Jerry Lynn, who's a AEW uh, backstage like worker coming out, and he has security coming out to the ring with him as well to try to get Eddie to let go of the hold. 
Eddie doesn't, and you would see a senior referee talk to Justin Roberts, and Justin would announce that this match has been overturned, so they give the win to Sammy Guevara. Eddie will let go of the hold hearing that, and you see him now start to attack some guards. And on commentary, you hear Excalibur saying there's going to be some repercussions towards this, so I could see probably next week on Rampage, Tony Khan making some, like, announcement or somebody making an announcement probably uh tony shivani making an announcement saying that eddie kingston got suspended or fined or something like that because they're trying to make it real known that you can't be laying your hands on anybody like that's not a wrestler so if you put your hands on security or even referees you will probably pay a fine or be suspended so we'll have to see what happens whenever dynamite rolls around after this we have the tbs championship matchup of diamante who has brought along with her Trina, the rapper Trina, with her to the ring, going against Jay Cargill, who has her baddies with her. Jay Cargill would win the match by pinfall when Jade would hit Jaded for the win. So Jade is now 38-0, still undefeated in AEW. After the match, Trina would get in the ring, grab Diamante by her hair, and slap her across the face. So Trina and Jade would pose in the middle of the ring. That was kind of to be expected, to be honest with you. I did not see Trina like really rocking with Diamante in this, to be honest with you. So when she slapped Diamante across the face, there was no like shock and ooh, ah in the arena. They were like, oh, okay. They kind of expected that. So Jade posed with Trina to finish this off. After this, we will have the Golden Ticket Battle Royale, where the winner of this match will fight for the AEW World Championship on October 18th dynamite episode and that's not going to be on a wednesday that's going to be on a tuesday and hangman page would win the match when he finally eliminates roosh when he hits the dead eye on the ring apron and roosh would roll off so roosh feet would hit the floor so hangman would win the match so hangman will be going against john moxley and i say john moxley only if john moxley holds on to the tv well aew championship until October 18th. So now, after this, we have our main event of the night, the lights-out matchup between Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. Ricky Starks would win the match by pinfall when he would spear Hobbs through a table that was set up in the corner of the ring. Then he would grab the entrance tunnel, like a piece of the entrance tunnel that Powerhouse brought to the ring, crack Powerhouse in the head with it, then hit Powerhouse with the Rochambeau for the win. Uh, this was a solid lights out match. It wasn't the most brutal lights out match that we ever seen, but we're not trying to have Ricky Starks and Powerhouse be bloody. That was not the meaning of this matchup. This was basically for Ricky to get his win on Powerhouse as Powerhouse beat Ricky Starks at all out in four minutes. So now both of the men are one and one, but it's not going to count on the AEW records. But to Powerhouse, who is a prideful man, Powerhouse knows that he lost to Ricky Starks. So again, we're going to be at one and one. So I expect this rivalry between Ricky and Powerhouse to continue after this. But we have to see what happens in the future of AEW. Well, Rampage or Dynamite, whenever they decide to put those two back on the exact same show. But that is your AEW Rampage uh, wrestling highlights of the week. Now, before I get you guys out of here, the last thing I want to talk about is the biggest news that came out this week. 
on wrestling. Uh, it comes from the WWE. It's Triple H basically bringing war games from the NXT brand up to the WWE main roster, and it's going to happen at Survivor Series. They are turning away from the Raw versus SmackDown brand supremacy type angle that they've been running for Survivor Series for the past couple years is going to be strictly storyline based basically at this year's Survivor Series. There's going to be one men's war game matchup and there's going to be one women's war game matchup. They're going to be basically following the exact same format that they did down there in NXT. Now my predictions for this is that for the men's war games, we're going to have the bloodline going against possible contenders to Roman's uh, Universal Championship or Undisputed Championship. I'm sorry. Uh, so on the bloodline, we're going to have uh, the Usos, Solo, and Sami Zayn going against, if I was a betting man, I would probably say Seth Rollins in that. Uh, Kevin Owens in this. Uh, Drew McIntyre. And you know what? I'm going to say Randy Orton. Throwing Randy Orton in this. If... We can't get Drew in this. I can see them putting Kevin Owens, Seth, Randy, and probably even Riddle in this. But even Riddle can't get a... Nope, throw Riddle out because Riddle can't get a championship matchup. So yeah, throw Drew back in there. Drew, Kevin Owens, Seth, and a surprising Randy Orton because Randy's been out for a good portion of the year. About, if anything, half of the year since, what, May, June-ish time? And we're almost... In October now. So yeah, he's been out for a good portion of the whole entire year now. So I can see Randy probably being like a surprise entrance for that. And if the Bloodline wins, none of the contenders on the opposite team will ever get a shot at Roman's uh, Undisputed Championship. And if the contenders win, they will get a shot at Roman's Undisputed Championship. Um, possibly some episodes of SmackDown, special episodes of SmackDown, certain episodes of Raw or even at uh, pay-per-view leading up to WrestleMania. That's the way I see it with the War Games matches happen there. And for the Women's War Games, that's where the funny part comes in. Because I feel that we're going to have damage control manning one side of the War Games, but they're going to have to find another participant to join them because damage control is only three people so far, Bailey, Dakota, and Io. The fourth person, if I were to have pick anybody to be the fourth person, uh, you know what? We could throw Oscar in there because Oscar isn't doing nothing, and it's time for Oscar to do something. We could flip Oscar into a villain and have her do something with that. And for the good guy side for the females, um, I can see it being Raquel Rodriguez, Shotzi. Possibly Bianca, and who's one more that we can throw into here? Not Charlotte, because Charlotte would never be a good person. Um, We could throw in, uh, God, we could throw in, I would say Becky, if Becky is around around this time, but I'm not sure if Becky's uh, shoulder will be back in place around this exact time or whatever injuries Becky's dealing with. But if Becky is able to come back, I say we throw Becky on that side, but if not Becky, uh, who can we make? You know what? I don't. I don't know on that one. Uh, we can throw Liv Morgan in there. Why not? Because Liv needs to do something, and you still can kind of get it off with uh, Liv if she is still the SmackDown Women's Champion going against 
Bailey, who is the Raw Women's Champion, because I have a feeling that Bailey's going to beat Bianca at Extreme Rules and she's going to hold on to that championship. So I can see WWE kind of going there if they want to do that. But that's my feelings for those two war game matches. So that's my whole take on that. War Games is going to Survivor Series. I'm happy about it. I thought that should have happened this year because Triple H was taking the books. I thought that a couple weeks ago. I just keep on forgetting to mention that on this show when I think of ideas and things to talk about always at the end of the program. But when it got announced this week, I was like, okay, cool. So somebody did. So I was on the right track of WWE creative, at least on that. And a lot of people were thinking that too. Everybody was thinking that War Games should be coming up to Survivor Series. But you got to remember, under the Vince McMahon rule, you don't think that that was going to happen because Vince wasn't trying to hear that. But Triple H is all about wrestling traditions. He's all about trying to expand the wrestling uh, bubble of WWE. And that's the reason why you see him bringing back older, not older, but former stars that got cut and give them some life into WWE and see what they can do underneath his uh, thumb now. And now with the War Games being on the main roster, it's going to be funny seeing how that works on the main roster. Are we really going to get War Games as in like legitimate both rings, cages on both sides with the lid on top? Or are we still going to do with no lid? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it works on the main roster compared to the uh, NXT roster. But with that all being said, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by G2. I am G2. I love you all. I want you guys to be safe. Please enjoy your Saturday. Do not be a dick. I have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow. I do that every Sunday of every week. I hope you guys would drop in and at least take a listen to it. But if you don't, I'll be back next Saturday with Wrestling Highlights of the Week. But with that, I love you. I thank you. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.